Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 137. If you like the Castles of Burgundy... Try these other games. We'd like to thank our Patreon backer, Timothy, for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is the episode. Yeah. We did it. <laughs> Good job, everybody. We, we sat down and turned on our microphones. <laughs> Thanks, Woo! Timothy. It's done. Woo! Good job. <laughs> Peace out, guys. Play some board games. Woo! Good night. Oh, no. We're back. <laughs> nope, we actually do have a full episode for you, especially a really interesting feature. We always do, if you like, try these other games but we haven't talked about the castles of burgundy felds of all of his classic games it's kind of the game that no matter where you are in the board gaming industry you know of this game and even if you're not a fan of his other games typically the castles of burgundy is something that everyone respects and definitely wants to get to the table yeah you know it's good because it has a card game version and soon a dice game version and it's already a dice game so that says something it does it really does and it's an outstanding game but we'll talk about that a little bit later let's talk about what's going on with the podcast anthony anything new coming up here yeah so 
like we said, Patreon's chugging along. We've got Timothy joined us this week. If you haven't yet, check it out. It's patreon.com slash BGA. And back at a dollar, you get in our Slack group. You can join the conversation. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast. We're going to hop in there and tell you guys every week, you know, hopefully what we're talking about, what we're playing, ask you for suggestions on what to talk about. We'll put together lists like today if you like Castles of Burgundy. And frequently we'll ask for input on that because it certainly helps us to to make sure we cover all our bases. Mm -hmm. So definitely check that out. We really appreciate everybody who's backed and everybody who's kind of hopped on there and give us, you know, even verbal support. So make sure you check that out. Yeah, it's a really fun place to be. We're always there and connected to you. So you want to jump in there, ask questions about games or just hang out and talk. It's there all the time. Yeah, for sure. So the other big thing this week is we have our next contest up and online. Wow. This is our fix your game contest. Quote, fix my game. Okay. So, <laughs> we're working with Geeks First. They're sponsoring the contest for us this, this month. And the basic idea is let us know which game you have that is a complete mess because you have tons of expansions. The boxes don't fit together. There's no real good storage solution. The big storage solution guys like Broken Token aren't making anything. Let us know what game kind of falls in that bucket. Send us in a picture on Twitter or Facebook. Use the hashtag FixMyGame, and you will be entered into this contest. The winner's going to take home a gift certificate from Geeks First. They make custom board game organizers that you can use however you want. They're modular. They fit in you know a variety of different game boxes. You can check out their website. I also have a pretty cool um, review where I ran through a whole bunch of different products that they provided for us to show you what the system looks like, how it works modular, and you know the different pieces that are available. So if you have a messy game, which we all do, snap a photo and upload that and join the contest. Yeah, that sounds really great because... I don't know. We have a few games and they definitely could use a lot more love. Yeah, definitely. And there are very few games that are actually covered by the big organizer companies. Mm -hmm. Those organizers are amazing, but they only apply to like 20 games. Sure. So if you have any of the rest of the games, like a lot of us, these organizers can be pretty good. And the last things last, make sure you check out Every Night is Game Night this week. We are talking with AJ Porfirio. He's the designer of Hostage Negotiator and the founder of Van Ryder Games, and we talk to him about Hostage Negotiator, which is one of my favorite solo games. It has three or four different versions of this game have come out now. The new Kickstarter just shipped out. So uh, if you care about solo games, dice games, thematic games, it's a pretty cool conversation. Hmm, sounds good. So how about you, Anthony? You been getting anything to the table recently? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to talk about one later today that I was very excited about. And well, I guess I'll share what I think about it in a bit. But sure. So that one will be fun. And and then Whistle Stop. This is one that uh, I was lucky enough to snag a copy of at Gen Con. I've gotten to the table a couple times. It has played differently every single time I've played it. So I don't even feel like I can review it properly yet. But it's been very, very interesting so far. Okay. Yeah, I got some games that I've already gotten out. So playing a little bit more of Magic Maze with some mixed reviews. And you could hear more of that kind of conversation on our Slack channel. Jason and I are going back and forth about that game. And I got Liz Bow out again. One of our friends did not enjoy the game so much. And Vita Lasur himself came out and said, but why? Why, why don't you like my games? <laughs> and he used that accent in his text message. And my friend felt really bad about that and asked to bring the game out again. And still doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so because um, he's wrong he, he, he yeah, doesn't like it because he's wrong yeah i think so 
it's 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 a rough game and it's a little challenging maybe even on I would say a color palette way if you're if you tend to be a little bit colorblind because that board has a lot of blue on it, my friend. So Yeah, that's true. It might throw you a little bit. So once you wrap your brain around it, it's as simple as can be, but otherwise it's gonna be a little more challenging. All right, so that's what's happening with us over here. Anthony, what's uh, going on with the Facebook group? What's our question of the week? All right, so last week I asked everybody what game they felt people were being too harsh on. Okay. And so I wanted some positivity. Uh, one of the responses to that question was, why don't you ask the opposite next week? And I was at first I was like, well, because people ask that question in every group all the time. That's and there true. are long, long threads about all the games that are overrated. But I asked it anyways because I'm magnanimous like that. Um, so I asked, what games that you consider average are you tired of hearing people heap praise on? So not necessarily what is overrated, but what do you think is just an okay game that everybody else is like losing their mind over? It happens all the time. That's that's the cult of the new. That's what happens. Uh, Larissa mentioned One Night Ultimate Werewolf. My game group loves Secret Hitler and Resistance Avalon, but we do not care for One Night Ultimate Werewolf. We tried playing through multiple times and just didn't see what the fuss was about. I do not like Secret Hitler or Resistance Avalon, but I also don't like One Night Ultimate Werewolf, so I approve of this message. (laughs) (laughs) Got a couple mentions of Cards Against Humanity, which I think we can, well, not all agree on, but I certainly agree on. Tim mentioned Pandemic Legacy. He, he, He got the question, heard the tone of the question at least. He said, don't get me wrong, I think it's well done, and the legacy aspect is cool, but in my opinion, it should be a top 200 game on BGG, not top five. So... I think it's a very reasonable take on that. Not, this is the worst game ever uh, that some people throw at it. Anytime you get stuck with somebody who is not a consistent tabletop gamer, they're typically just getting a lot of those mass market or just nearly designer games. Recently, I got an elevator with somebody and we were talking about games and they were praising, praising, praising Exploding Kittens. And... Oof. I've played Exploding Kittens, and it's 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 a game. It's a game, right? We're going... It's a game. No, okay. it's totally a game. It's got rules. It's in a box. There's cardboard. <laughs> and, I mean, the company does such an outstanding job at the convention really putting on a show. So if you ever just want to see a show at a booth, like a big production, you probably saw pictures on our Facebook page of this gigantic cat where they kind of like almost do like a little mini puppet show on there phenomenal it's just it's just so humorous so inventive so great the game is so generic and i don't have the heart to break people you know as far as like there's it's just not a great game there's other stuff there so it's good that you love it it's a great funny company kind of like cards against humanity it's all right yeah yeah Yeah. there's so many games like that like i've i've been in two separate long arguments in the last two weeks about splendor okay because the new expansion came out and people like I went to my local game store and the owner there is like, oh, you're here for the Splendor expansion. And I was like, ah, <laughs> no, I'm not a fan. He's like, you don't like Splendor. I'm like, it plays itself, man. It's it, not it a does. game. It's, <laughs> it's just an automaton that goes through and picks up chips. It's kind of uh, so we got in a nice big argument about that. I don't even hate Splendor. I'll play it, but I don't love it. Um, Codenames is another one where I'm fine with it. It's a great idea. Theory and practice it doesn't always work out. Sure. So, yeah, there's plenty of games out there like that that are overhyped, not necessarily bad, but just not as good as some people, to me at least, put them up to be. Yeah, I think it's just a lot of like it bottlenecks at that kind of gateway level. And then once you can get past that, your eyes kind of open up and just say, 
I was spending hours on that other game and just it just kind of blows you away that there's just better quality games for your time. For sure. Speaking about better quality games, let's talk about our acquisition disorders, Anthony. So what do you have up for us this week? Okay, this is the new, well, it's not the new game from What's Your Game, because What's Your Game has, I think, at least two games coming out this year. This one is for next year, which means it'll probably be Essen of 2018. It's Artificial Intelligence. This is by Nuno Bizarro Santiero and Paulo Soledad. I can't remember exactly what they released. I believe they were behind Madeira and Panamax, maybe Nippon, but the some of the big recent releases from What's Your Game. So good, good stuff. Big heavy euros and this one is about artificial intelligence and i think it takes place in the year 2090 or 2100 the whole idea is a singularity has happened artificial intelligence is running the economy and there are a select number of people behind the artificial intelligence the investors kind of pulling the strings and trying to make money off of all of it so it is an economic sci-fi game with stocks and hand management and that's about all we know about it. But because of the pedigree of the designers and the publisher, I have a feeling it's going to be really cool. And this theme in general has been really hot lately in movies. It's been hot in TV shows. We've got a new Blade Runner. We've got lots of books coming out talking about AI and biotech. It's just this is the world we live in. It's kind of interesting to think about and talk about. And I, I really like the idea of games tackling that, too. So I very much look forward to this one. Nice. Yeah, I like this theme a lot. So I'm really glad that this is kind of like the first foray into kind of a whole different genre that we really typically haven't seen very much of. Yeah, like I don't know. You can't even tell if it's like going to be post-apocalyptic or anything. It's just going to be looking at this idea of a singularity within a game. So that'll be cool. Very, very smart. So speaking about Splendor, I actually have a little love from the designer here, Mark Andre, a game called Majesty for the Realm. This is going to be a release at Essen. Uh, Hans and Gluck is going to be releasing this game. And basically what we're looking at here is probably maybe just ever so slightly a little bit heavier than Splendor. But basically what you're getting is a tableau of cards that are going to be lined up in a row. And each of the cards are going to be a different medieval building that are going to require different residents or workers for that building. So there is a tableau building set collection that goes on. And then there's a market in the middle of the board in which these different characters are available for purchase. So you're basically going to pick a card according to that row. But just like every other game, in order to get a, a card down the row, you're going to have to pay a meeple and put that on each card in order to pick something later in the row. So think small world where you have to play a coin to pick the later races. Once you take that card, you place it in your tableau and it activates that building. Some of the buildings are victory points. Some are going to give you money. Some are going to be able to allow you the opportunity to actually attack other players' tableaus and kill their people off. Uh, There's also witches in the game. And if you play one of those witches, you can actually resurrect one of your characters that's been killed to put it back into your tableau. And then at the end of the game you're looking at majorities. So whoever has majorities for those different areas scores those victory points. And then some of those cards in that row, also you score victory points depending on how many sets you are able to score. So it looks just ever so slightly heavier than Splendor. Some really outstanding artwork here and a nice next step for our uh, fair Splendor creator. 
Yeah, this looks great. Yeah, right. And like actual interactivity too. That's what's missing from Splendor because it sure. plays itself. I know. <laughs> Sorry. I know a lot of people love it, but come on, guys. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, it, it looks really good and the artwork is pretty great. Yes, absolutely. All right, so that's everything for our acquisition disorders. Now on to our at the table with BGA. So Anthony, what has been hitting your table this week? I know it's not Splendor, so what do you got for us? <laughs> is it Splendor? Because that'd be weird. <laughs> I know I'm making it sound like I hate Splendor. I don't actually hate Splendor. I just I've been like up in arms because people have been like so aggressively pushing it at me lately. I'm like, no, I don't love it. Leave me alone. So. I get that too because I never loved the game. I thought it was okay. But everyone loves it so much. I bought the app. I paid real money to buy the app. Played it on there. Thought I was going to love it. Felt like you said, like it plays itself, and was just like, I don't. I just don't know. why I don't get it. It just doesn't. It just doesn't click with me. So, good for you if it does. Let me suggest Century Spice Road because I think it's a better game. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so go ahead. Onward. Yes, that's not the game we're reviewing today. Nope. Um, we reviewed that like two years ago. So <laughs> we're talking about. Attack on Titan The Last Stand. This is a game from Cryptozoic that came out at Gen Con this year. If you've seen it at all, you know you've seen it. It has a giant cardboard standee of the Titan from Attack on Titan, which is an anime uh, released in Japan. Very, very popular in Japan. I think there is a second season of the anime now. There's a manga that preceded that. Um, There's a few video games based on this as well. It's a big franchise over there. It's been in the West a little bit as well. Maybe you've seen it on Netflix it's been around. So this is the board game based on that. And the reason that I was so interested in it is because of the pedigree of the design team here. It's not just some game thrown together by Cryptozoic. It is an Antoine Bowser game with Ludovic Moblanc. So this is the design team uh, behind Dice Town. It is the, the it's Antoine Bowser. I mean, it's one of the big names in, in board game design. So we have a game that it's not just your typical Cerberus engine. And they did a Cerberus engine for the, the Attack on Titan. So they, they got that out of the way. And then they're like, this is our actual board game. And so I was very excited about this because it had the opportunity to be something more interesting, more in-depth, more engaging. So let me just describe the rules real quick for you. Uh, you have one player plays the Titan, and then some number of players play the heroes. So it's one versus all the the Titan has their own action cards on their turn. They're going to pick two of those action cards. One goes face up, one goes face down. Then the heroes are going to roll their dice. You have dice at all these different faces on them. Um, there's attack, there's movement. There are two different symbols that allow you to resolve different things that the Titan is doing to kind of negate the actions that they're taking. Um, and then there's these Titan faces and the Titan faces Basically, when you roll those, that's action points for the Titan to do things against you. So it's a bit of a push-your-luck game because when you roll your dice, you can keep rolling until you get what you want, but every time a die comes up with a Titan face on it, it goes to the Titan, and they get to use that and spend it to activate the actions on their action cards. So you have to be careful because you don't want to let them do that. <laughs> also on these action cards, you have specific icons that need to be matched. So that sometimes it'll be the group needs to come up with a certain number of action dice. Sometimes it's individual players need to have certain action dice. And so you know that on the one card, you don't know it on the hidden card. So you're kind of mitigating that as you play. You, you, you want to make sure you have enough of these, but you also want to make sure you have enough dice left over to do damage to the Titan. So you're kind of balancing those two out. 
So once that's done, the Titan's going to use their symbols and then give the dice back to the player so they can re-roll them and then use them again. And then everybody resolves action cards. For the for the heroes, those action cards, you know, the, the actions that they take on their dice are going to be things like moving. So there's different platforms that are stuck into the sides of the Titan and they move up these different platforms. They have their own action card that has a combination of positions. So if you get people in those different positions, you can perform special abilities that can heal or resurrect or attack in certain ways and do damage to the Titan. The whole thing plays out kind of a back and forth between the two sides, and it's very asymmetrical between the two sides. Titan gets to do a lot more different things than maybe the heroes do, but the heroes have the tower, they have the cannons they can work with, they can climb up the Titan and attack him. Lots and lots of different ways to, to do damage here. So how does the game actually play out? It sounds really cool. I read the rule book and I was immediately like, wow, this is going to be great. You set it up, you have this big like 14 inch Titan sitting on the table. You build this tower, you put these plastic cannons on it. You've got your little standees, they're jumping all over the place. It looks awesome. And I remember when I saw it at Gen Con a year ago, uh, I think they were just demoing it. Maybe uh, Bowser was there, I think, showing people the game. And I was like, wow, I got to play this game. Now that I've played the game, however, I have some reservations. To start with, it seems fairly imbalanced. I don't know how the Titan wins this game. Now, I mean, I do know because it is a press your luck game and someone could press their luck too far, give the Titan a whole bunch of different dice each of these heroes only has three health points. So if, if the Titan's able to knock three health points off of one hero, they lose. The only way the heroes win is to defeat the Titan. But that's not actually that hard to do because you rack up enough damage across three or four heroes. You knock them out pretty fast. On the flip side, it's fairly hard for the Titan to actually knock out a single hero unless the heroes make poor decisions. And that's frustrating. If you play the Titan... I, I don't know what the win percentages are. I haven't played the game that many times, but the few times I have played it, it was fairly lopsided. Uh, the game, the flow of the game is fun. The first round or two, everybody's having a lot of good fun, but eventually whoever's playing the Titan is like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of filling in. It's almost like a co-op at that point uh, with a low loss rate. I really, really want to like this game. And I feel like, it feel it feels like there should be more strategy to it, but in the end, it's really just a press your luck dice game, in which it's hard to press your luck too hard, because if you just play conservatively, you're gonna get enough of the dice faces that you need to eventually knock out the Titan and do what you need to do. It's a bit of a letdown, you know, and and it's not that there's not enough pieces here. It's not that the theme isn't well integrated, because it is very well integrated. It's not that the artwork or the components are bad, as you might expect from a Cryptozoic game. They're actually very good. The rules are fine. The overall gameplay experience is fine. It's just the way it ends up playing out is if you're the Titan, good luck. If you're the rest of the heroes, your actions, your moves, your rounds are not that interesting because you only have a couple of things you can really do. And all that hopping around, you're not going to do very much of it. Um, maybe get a couple good combos off and that's it. So... I don't know. I, I've played this game more often than I typically do a game that I'm trying to review just because I wanted to make sure, like, do I really like not like this? Because I, I enjoy the theme. I enjoy everything about the game. I like the designers and it's just not clicking for me. So despite how excited I was and despite how much fun it was setting this up and playing it for the first couple times, I have to give it a dodge. Wow. And, and that makes me sad. 
because I really, really wanted to like this. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's it feels like it should have everything it needs to be good. And it's just and I'm not I hate saying a game's imbalanced because I didn't design it and I didn't test it. But and it's not even that it's imbalanced. It's just the combination of things needed for one side to defeat the other. Kind of once you unlock that as the heroes you're like well why would we do that sure. <laughs> why would we push our like we'll just be conservative this turn don't do anything this turn but he also can't do anything and we all just kind of sit here and, and that actually makes the game less fun so you either press your luck and it's more exciting or you don't and you win it seems like if it was going to be truly thematic for the show you really would have to be forced to press your luck all the time because that's very much how the show goes yeah, yeah, I think that's what it's trying to do. And the way it sets that up is, you know, if you don't get these symbols, maybe you get hurt and you lose a health or this happens or that he eats, you know, the Titans can eat uh, citizens. If they eat all the citizens, they win. I think there's 12 of them. If they knock all the cannons out, they win. But because there's all these different pieces, there's 12 citizens and I think six or seven cannons and then the three health on each of the heroes, you can sacrifice a lot of that. And sure. dealing damage to the Titan is not that hard to do. So you might get to the point where you only have two or three citizens left, one or two cannons left, but you still win because you're just trying to chip away at the Titan. And that's what's happened in all these games. I almost feel like this game would have been better as a co-op because then you could have scaled it in a certain way and had like less citizens, fewer cannons, found a way to like ramp up the difficulty. But because a player is playing the Titan, it just doesn't end up working. So is it possible that whoever play tested the game they didn't think that people would kind of figure the game out yeah i don't know it's hard to put put myself in their mindset sure. and it might be that they wanted the heroes to win most of the time you know I, I there's definitely some one versus many games where the many come out on top more often than not i think in this case because it's not particularly exciting for the many sure like the way you go about doing that you have to play very conservatively and you know, manage your dice and you don't get a ton of decisions to make on your turns. It's just, it's not very much fun in that way. And if you play it more aggressively and more fun, like if you're being doing the press your luck, then it's very swingy. Like sure. the one game we had one guy who was just like rolling, 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 and he ended up giving all his dice to the Titan. I don't know what he was doing, but <laughs> then the Titan used his special powers twice and just killed one of the heroes. Okay. So that can happen. But it shouldn't because those are poor decisions on the planet. Sure. As a hero, don't do that. Yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't quite gel. Yeah, it reminds me of Samurai Spirit a little bit where you can just sacrifice certain elements that you're supposed to be protecting but still come out and win the game. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. All right, well, I played a game and it's quite a epic little game. A tiny Epic Quest. Now... Honestly, I've played all of the Tiny Epic series except for the Western. The Western is the one Tiny Epic that I've not played yet. So I was actually really excited to actually get Tiny Epic Quest to the table because up to this point, while I did kind of like Galaxies, you know, Defenders were so-so and it, it had such a kind of, I've had a kind of warm relationship with it. It never really pushed me over the edge as far as loving the game. Like I said, without the exception of Westerns, which I haven't played yet. But Tiny Epic Quest seems oddly familiar to, I don't know, a legally distinct IP that you may like a lot. 
And basically what you're doing is you are playing on a modular board and the victory condition, as all good kind of Euro-esque games is, is victory points. Now, in particular, you can get these from a number of different areas, but there are three tracks in the game. One track is knocking goblins out, completing quests, or your magical abilities that you'll be able to ramp up in the game. Now, each of these tracks starts at a minus, so like any good Agricola player knows, you have to do a little bit of everything, at least to start, so you're not taking negative victory points. But as you score multiples of either the goblins, the spells, or the quest, you'll score multiples of the victory points. So you may want to kind of pick one or two of these lanes to really to kind of stick in so you can score a multitude of points because you're not going to be able to get all three of those tracks down as far as possible because the game is pretty quick. You're talking pretty much about five rounds here. So focus and then you're, you're going to do pretty good on this game. Now, the game itself, as far as moving around the module board, is interesting because it's a very different mechanic that we usually don't see in games. What you're going to be doing, if it's you're the first player, is you're going to be picking a card that's going to allow you a certain direction of movement. So a horse is going to let you move horizontal. By ship, it's going to let you move around the coast of this module map. By raft, it's going to let you move vertical. By griffin, it's going to let you move diagonal. And then by foot, it's going to allow you to move one in any direction. So once that player picks that card, it goes around the table and everyone takes that movement action. And then eventually, all the players will pick a movement and then there probably will be at that point movement that wasn't taken. So you almost have to plan out a little bit. Like, I think, you know, Anthony really wants moved diagonal this turn. So he's definitely going to take the griffin. So I'm okay with doing the raft at this point and then waiting for another opportunity to move another one of my meeples in that direction. Now you get three meeples or item meeples in this game. And that's a really big part of this game because not only are you going to have your classic meeples wandering around this board to accomplish quests, but they're going to be able to pick up special tools and weapons as the game goes on, especially if they're able to complete quests in the temples. Now, each of these little module square boards are going to have four different areas to visit. Now, the quest areas are obviously the most popular because they're going to give you the most items. And the quests obviously score you victory points at the end of the game, so that's always good too. Now, you're also going to have your own player board. Now, the player board is going to track how much energy you have, how much life you had, and you'll be able to bulk that up as time goes on by knocking around goblins and picking up special abilities. But you'll also be able to pick up a number of different items and weapons in the game too. So as you go through these different temples, you'll be able to pick up a sword, a shield, and even a staff. Now, each of these weapons allow you to do something different, basically to defend yourself from goblins, to pick up energy, and to kind of like help you in your questing. So once that day phase is done, that you've moved everything around, and you've been able to accomplish all the quests that you were able to accomplish, the night phase happens. And now at this point, it's a press your luck game where you're rolling dice in order to get the most beneficial opportunity to move your meeples or do actions at those locations that they were able to attend during the daytime hours. So when you roll the dice, you could get a goblin attack, which is going to do damage against you. And that's really the press your luck situation where you could actually get knocked out in this game. So 
don't do that. Don't get yourself killed because then you have to start from scratch and that's not really helpful. You can also pick up power. You could pick up magical abilities and you'll be able to pick up icons that'll actually move you down these two different possible temple tracks as well as knocking the goblin around for victory points. So basically the night action is that press your luck to see if you can get to the final spot and in addition to all of that kind of fun stuff there is also a magic track that you'll have an opportunity to gear up and go down and score additional victory points on that final track. But what's challenging with that magical track is the further it goes down to give you an opportunity to move your token down that way to score points, it's also going to allow you to take more damage if an attack face shows up on those dice. So as the game goes on, you're taking damage, but if you rolled more than one, then the next person's going to take that damage. So even if it's not your turn, you're susceptible to taking damage. So you might want to rest at some point instead of keep pressing your luck it's a fun interactive game as i said it's a module board it's really fun and interesting to put those little weapons and tools on your meeple because they'll give the meeple special abilities and based upon where they end up they're going to affect that area it's also a very simple game there's nothing really too complicated it does look epic and immense i think the tiny part of this franchise is kind of starting to get pushed away but nonetheless, Tiny Epic Quest is a play, a solid play, and I would almost say it's a buy if you happen to like a certain genre that I know Anthony's a big fan of. Woo! I already bought it. You already so. bought it, so. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even played it yet. Just like, oh yeah, I know what that looks like. Done. Yeah, so if you haven't seen the game, I don't want to spoil it too much for you or put the whole Tiny Epic in litigation, but it's basically Legend of Zelda. Yes. Right? Yes, that is absolutely 100% what the cover <laughs> reminds you of. Sure, hold on a second. Wait, Anthony, I'm getting a I'm getting a call here. Our lawyers are saying it's legally distinct nonetheless. It is. Okay, good. That's good, good to know. Because I want to keep playing it. Yeah, yes. that's good. <laughs> so it's a legally distinct Legend of Zelda kind of knockoff, but kind of in the best way possible. And, you know, good little game there. Awesome. Right. I love hearing reviews of games that I've owned for a while and just haven't gotten to play yet. I'm like, man, I got to play this stupid game. <laughs> it's definitely worth your table time. I, I would definitely say that. All right. So that's everything for At the Table. Now on to our feature review. So this week we are talking about if you like the Castles of Burgundy, try these other games. Now, the Castles of Burgundy is a favorite of Anthony and I's and hopefully a favorite of yours as well. If you haven't checked it out, you're really missing out because this game does so many great things. Now, this is a Stefan Feld game, and basically what it incorporates is probably his two of his most popular mechanics. One is dice rolling, but not in a typical roll and move, but as far as rolling dice in order to allow you to take certain actions on the board. Second is when you have those dice, one of the actions in Castles of Burgundy is you'll actually be able to take different areas to build up your little section of your board. So your tableau is actually built up by selecting things based upon your dice. But you'll also be able to activate a number of different things. You'll be able to get money in the game. You'll be able to get majorities of certain colors, certain area control. It does a large number of different things that are really classic to Feld. So if you played any other Feld game, you most definitely have played on some level castles, the Castles of Burgundy. Now, 
this is a point salad game. So you're going to get a lot of points by shipping materials, by picking up special abilities throughout the game, by picking special tiles. But the game has, while it doesn't have a specific expansion, it has a lot of small module promos and different boards that you can play with. So it can be asymmetrical or it could have the same gameplay experience as far as the setup is concerned. But it is a classic Euro. It's something that everyone should play. And it's something worthy of, if you like these different mechanics, you should try out some of these other games. Now, what we want to bring you is other games along the lines of Castles of Burgundy that have, I would say, a little bit of a different feel, a little bit of a different spin, and definitely a little bit of a different weight. So we're going to go from light, medium, and heavy, I guess, mechanically versions of the Castles of Burgundy. So Anthony, why don't you start us off? All right, so let's kick things off with the lighter games. Uh, the first one I wanted to talk about is Quadropolis. This is a game from Days of Wonder that was released a little over a year ago, back in 2016. And it is a city-building game in which you are using your architect to choose one of several tiles from a 5x5 grid and then moving it into your own 4x4 city grid. The basic rules of this game, I think, are a page and a half long. It's very, very simple. But the basic idea is you're trying to take these tiles and there are residential buildings, shops, public services, parks, harbors, factories. And each of these different types of buildings will score points in different ways. Um, the residential buildings will stack up. The shops score based on how many customers they have. The public services depend on the number of districts in the city that you have them. The parks depend on the number of residential buildings next to them. So placement matters. Set collection matters. Uh, management of resources matters. You're not using dice necessarily, but because of the way that you're moving the architects around the board to block certain rows, uh, you definitely have to keep many of these different things in mind in, in terms of what's available, when it's available, and how to block other people. It kind of removes several of the mechanics you might know from Castles of Burgundy and still offers a fairly accessible uh, tile-laying, city-building type of game that I've had a lot of success bringing out for newer gamers, not quite gateway, but very close, very accessible, very easy to teach and a whole lot of fun. So on the light side, I want to talk about a game that utilizes the dice rolling in the Castles of Burgundy as far as being able to activate different spots on the board. And that's Dice City. Now, this is a very colorful game, bright and beautiful. If you're definitely looking for something more on the gateway side as far as kind of tipping into the Castles of Burgundy area. You are placing buildings in order to be able to produce resources based upon your dice rolls. So once again, building up your tableau and then rolling dice to activate those spots on your tableau in order to slap bandits around, to be able to purchase trade ships, and overall to gain victory points that'll lead you to victory. So if you're looking for something on the lighter weight version of Castles of Burgundy, definitely try out Dice City and its multiple expansions. All right. So moving on to medium level games, so games that are kind of on the same weight level as Castles of Burgundy. Uh, one of my favorite games of all time is The Voyages of Marco Polo. Uh, this is a game that has been in and out of print for a little while now. I think it's back in print now. But the basic idea of the game is you have five dice that you will roll every round and you'll use the pips on these dice to take certain actions. You can use dice to take resources. You can get them to take camels it'll help you move across the board you can take money you can take purchase orders and you can travel and so you'll be moving your different meeples across the board to different cities completing different orders 
gathering resources, spending those resources, but everything is dice driven. So while you're not necessarily building a tableau like you would in the Castles of Burgundy, you are basically moving through the game based on the dice you roll. Now, the interesting thing about this game is it's got a lot of asymmetrical powers. Every person will have their own player board and their own special power that they can use that breaks the rules in some way. There is one player power that lets you ignore the dice rolls completely. So it's not as much like Castles of Burgundy, but the rest of them have a lot of interesting things too. Bonus resources, extra movement, um, special powers for you know maybe multiple characters on the board. Very, very fun. Similar weight, similar length of game, but a lot more thematically integrated, I think. You have beautiful artwork, lots of interesting pieces. It, you know, if you're looking at Castles in Burgundy and thinking, wow, that's not a very pretty game, uh, this game is a very pretty game. So I, I think they're both worth playing, but this one is definitely more accessible and easier to get people into. So that's the Voyages of Marco Polo. Roll for the Galaxy. Now, this is the kind of revision, reimagining of Race for the Galaxy. But what you're going to do for Roll for the Galaxy is you're actually going to be using dice to take your actions, very similar to Castles of Burgundy. So based upon your role, you'll be allowed to take certain actions in order to settle, develop, in order to produce and explore. And based upon that, you'll be able to take tiles that you'll be able to add your tableau, build up resources, trade in those resources for victory points, and kind of grow your own little spot in the universe. So very much like the Castles of Burgundy, your little area kind of grows based upon your dice rolls, and that area that grows changes up your dice rolls. So Roll for the Galaxy, an outstanding version of the Castles of Burgundy. All right, so moving on to a not necessarily heavy, heavy, but slightly heavier. There aren't a lot of super heavy games out there that use dice for action selection, but there are some that get up there in, in the uh, in the heavyweight area. And this is one that's actually been re-released recently, finally got reprinted by Asmodee, and that's Trois. You're recreating several centuries of history in France. And so you'll be using different dice that basically rec- represent your population in a hand of cards. And you're trying to do a number of things. So you're working in cathedrals, you're fighting different misfortunes that your city might face, you are moving around the city and taking different actions, raising your family stature, doing a lot of different things within the three different primary domains of the city, the religion, military, and civil. So stuff you recognize from pretty much any Euro. Um, the interesting thing about this game, of course, is that it's a little more interactive than maybe you're used to. So you can take dice from other people in creative ways, um, offering cash to kind of take their populace to use for your own efforts. So it's kind of like Castles in Burgundy. If you ramped up the interactivity, it's a little bit meaner, a little bit more complicated, not a lot more complicated, but definitely an interesting game and one that my game group and I have had a lot of fun playing in recent years. All right, so for me on the heavy side, we're looking at La Granja. Now, La Granja is interesting because it incorporates the dice rolling in the Castles of Burgundy, and once again, another interesting way. So at the start of the round, you're going to roll the dice, and based upon the pips on that die, it's going to be placed in a particular area. So you're rolling a lot of dice in this game, at least to start off with, as far as showing what actions you could take. So you might have a number of fours in a certain slot that's going to allow you to get money. Or you're going to have a certain slot, let's say the number two slot, that's going to allow you to get a resource of your choice. So once again, just like the Castles of Burgundy, based upon your dice rolls, you are allowed to take certain actions 
that's going to allow you to get resources in order to pick up cards that'll do a number of different things, but also be able to play to this main tableau area. So if you do love the art and design of the castles of Burgundy, as far as that yellow and green and beige kind of goes on, you're going to find that here in La Granja. It has a very Castles of Burgundy look to it. So as the game goes on, you're going to open up your tableau even further by putting special abilities, by putting cards down. That's going to allow you to do different things. So think of Glory to Rome as far as the cards having multiple abilities to it. So Castles of Burgundy dice rolling and Glory to Rome card play allows for a really nice merging of a lot of different heavy mechanics in this game. So if you're looking for something on a little more of the complicated, you know, sometimes a little bit fiddly side, La Granja is the perfect game for you. All right, so those are the games that you should definitely check out if you love the Castles of Burgundy, or even if you just like it enough that you want to try out different versions of these celebrated mechanics. Okay, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And you can roll the dice and see if you end up with a seat at our table. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.